I ate a whole box of Samoas. I don't think they're called that. They are. They're called Girl Scout Cookie Samoas. Are you sure about that? Samoas? Yeah. S-A-M-O-A-S. Chocolate and coconut, caramel, I guess, maybe. Maybe not, but Samoas? Are you still waiting for it to Google? Yeah. Hey, um, can I just tell everyone, welcome they're to... They're now called Caramel Delights. No way. Yeah. Because a Samoa refers to Samoan, and that's... This Girl Scout. Look, right here. <sighs> okay, I believe you. Just, well, whatever they're called, I ate them. You ate a whole box of them? I mean, pretty much. Not, no, not a whole box, because everybody helped. The Wonder Boys helped, who were on episode 47. Yeah. Yeah. You say Samoa, and I think of Jason Momoa, Aquaman. That guy is—he's something. He did you see how handsome he looked at the Oscars? He had a pink tux on. That he, yeah, and he was carrying that clutch from that other lady, apparently to be a gentleman, and it went with his outfit. I mean, I can't carry a clutch and look cool. I mean, I look maybe gentlemanly, but I don't look cool. And he looked cool. I can totally pull off a clutch. Well, you're cooler than me. I have a Merce. You yes, you do. Mm-hmm. You are Indiana Jones. Why? Why do men look down on carrying a bag? Like, they don't think of it when they're carrying a gym bag. LeBron James doesn't look down on himself when he carries a Merce. No. It makes so much sense. Wallet, phone, headphones, keys, if you have to take medication, gum or mints, uh, additional IDs. Did I already mention wallet? You said a wallet. Keys, phone. (laughs) It makes perfect sense to Lipstick. have a bag. I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand why people would look down on a male because they're he's carrying a bag to support his lifestyle. I don't well, understand. I understand one thing, and that is that we are here today on this uh, 48th episode of You'll Die Trying. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to You'll Die Trying. Welcome. I'm Nathan Morris. I'm Jonathan Carroll, and you are here, and we appreciate you. Strap in, suit up. It's about to get really hot up in here. It's game on today. Game on. I'd like to talk to uh, to you, Nathan, in a minute here um, about the psychology of competition. Yeah, let's talk about competition. Let's because... listen first. Okay. Let's listen to this. I'm listening. It's called a jingle. That was a good segue. I like that one. Did you like it? Yeah, it was good. I, I didn't know where it was going. It, was, it felt good. I think our jingle, when lined up next to virtually any other jingle of any other podcast, would stand a huge chance of being on the podium. Yes. A, a one, two, or three winner. Anytime I ever say, hey, check out the podcast, people are like, that jingle's good. I like the jingle. Yeah, thanks, I still Lane. sing it. Mm-hmm. Tries a man, tries a man, all I know. Okay, I'm done. <clears throat> you just heard it. <laughs> you wanted to talk about competition. I want today. to talk about competition today. Competition in life, personally and professionally. I just want to make a general thirty thousand foot view comment, and then let's dive in to this. And I think Dr. Carroll, with you leading the way, can really help. Competition is here. We go. 
necessary. Yeah. Absolutely necessary. I will tell you right now, the people that I call competitors have made me better. Hmm. And you know what? I'm seeing people don't like competition, and it's absolutely ignorant. Don't be those people. Now let's talk about that from an in-depth perspective. Okay. Go. Well, let's let's just test the thesis that competition is necessary. Okay. Right? Uh, can you imagine a scenario where competition doesn't happen? Is there a context in the world that you can think competition doesn't happen? Mm, giving birth. Okay. One could argue that um, in that case, someone is competing against natural forces, right? Maybe like meaning epidural, not epidural kind of thing? Well, meaning, you know, fighting against the urge to to quit. Okay. Push, so they're competing with themselves. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Competing with urges, competing with natural instincts. And, and women are amazing for being able to do that. Absolutely. Okay. Other examples? Girl Scout cookies. I mean, that's Girl, totally a competition. Absolutely. You sell the... I, okay. I don't know how it's possible, but I bought $70 worth of Girl Scout cookies. I think they're $2 a box. And Drew and his cute little daughters are, you know, they made me... I, I was suckered into it, I have to admit. And I bought all these cookies. Mm -hmm. Well, I think they won because, of course, they're in a competition. Mm -hmm. They're in a competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's great because they wanted to win. Right. So there's no... Participation trophies, which, by the way, are fa farce. They're so ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a problem. For me? N no. Oh, okay. I was it's just a problem like, okay, for our well, culture. Yeah. Yeah, you participated, so you get a trophy just because you're the last place. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not good for us. I'll tell you right now, we had field day in elementary school every year, and it was like the most exciting thing, and Carrie Beth Jones always beat all the boys because she ran so much faster. And I remember winning one time and I got first place, but all the times before I would get second or third, Matt Strell would always beat me too. My point is I didn't win a participation award. I won either first, second or third or nothing. And it was like a legit ceremony when mm -hmm. I was in elementary school, middle school. Now it's like, hey, you like stood over there and blew the, what are those things called? Dandelions while we had sack races. Here's a trophy. Yeah. Anyway. I just, I'm a little salty about it. Do you think your mind will change when it's your kids playing sports? No, no, because life is not easy. Life is not fair. There are winners and there are losers. Not losers in the sense of, hey, you're a loser, like that defined you, but losers in the sense of, in this instance, you did not win. You did not, per out, you did not outperform. Mm -hmm. And I'm salty about this situation <laughs> because in my profession, competition is extreme. Mm -hmm. And instead of focusing on whenever people, there are still people, businesses that are better than me. And I want to, I want to be better. I don't focus on their betterment. I focus on me becoming better in order to one day excel and surpass them. Right. Mm -hmm. But also there's a healthy boundary of not becoming too focused on that person or individual or business or whatever I'm trying to say. Right. And, you know, I've got dogs just nipping at my heels right now. In many instances, and it's it gets to the point where it's kind of frustrating, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like focus on yourself, you know. It's like if you're a terrible person, <laughs> what do you do? You fix it. Don't don't. I definitely think that studies show that when you are competing against someone outside of yourself, what psychologists call extrinsic incentive, some force, some other person, something outside of you. Typically, when the competition is over, 
behavior trends are reversed and whatever it was that you weren't doing tends to bounce right back to what you were before the competition started. So I think that we do best when we do not focus on outside sources for competition, but when we focus on competing against ourselves. We need to focus on what we did this time last year, this time last quarter, this time yesterday, and compete against that rather than let other people, other businesses, our other quote-unquote competitors be the focus of our, of our competitive drive. We say, and we've said in previous podcasts, be better today than you were yesterday. Right. And I think that's great. Compete with yourself. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the bottom line. We could probably end this podcast here, but I want to keep going and kind of dive in even more. So, so what is it about competing within ourselves that will keep us motivated? Because part of competing against other parties outside of us, that extrinsic motivation, you know, there's a very lively competitive um, atmosphere or culture that would drive us. Like, you know, you think about The Biggest Loser, for instance. You know, that was a show that kind of really concentrated on working against yourself as well as other people. And, you know, studies show that a lot of the people who were on that show, after you know, can't sustain that lifestyle where you're working out six hours a day and they gain it back, right? Because that motivation, that incentive is gone. You've got to have that intrinsic, that interior incentive, that motivation to change and stay changed. But what is it about that 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 we most need? What what generates the best intrinsic interior motivation to keep us competitive with ourselves? Mm, that's a really. I, I I don't mean to even delay this answer because I don't know that I know the right answer or an answer in general, but I think that's a good question to ask. I mean, I think it, at, at the end of the day, there could be a thousand reasons mm-hmm. why we compete against ourselves and want to do better than we did. Um, pride in what we do, commitment to the people with whom we're doing it. Maybe right. there are monetary benefits or incentives. Maybe there are programs that we can be a part of or rewards. But at the end of the day, the question is, I think, what kind of person are you? Do you want to be better than you were? Do you want to try to make the company that you serve better than it was? And that could be motivation enough. I like that. Yeah, Some things that people do, businesses tend to do is when they're competing with one another is they literally find themselves rubbernecking. They've focused solely on what someone else or some other business is doing to the point where they lose sight of what they're doing. And then they are literally left in the dust. And don't allow that. Do not let that be you. I've, we pride ourselves here, Dr. Carroll included. We don't, we, we are maybe, uh, what's the right word? Maybe conscientious of mm-hmm. what others are doing or aware. Aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we literally kind of keep our heads down. And uh, I, I'm going to say it. I mean, if you're in a similar industry with somebody, it's tough to admit because I like the idea of being friendly and friends with everybody, but they don't want to be your friends. No, they don't. You know, <clears throat> excuse me, cool competition. That's the word. Competition is a dominant. I thought you were going to say cool runnings, like the 1994 <laughs> hit film on somebody from that original Jamaican bobsled team was in Davis County yesterday oh. talking to a Davis County High School. That's okay. awesome. Yeah, so it's funny you said that. Um, Competition is a dominant force and it's a natural force. It occurs in nature, but it's not the only one. And it's got an equal and opposite other half, another cousin, which is cooperation. The same drive drives us to compete against one another. That drives us to work with one another. And I would say in the industry that you find yourself in, 
there is not a whole lot of cooperation. It is impossible. You can't cooperate but compete. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, it's one or the other. Right. Uh, human beings have survived not just because of competition, but also because of cooperation. And there's a, a great Western philosopher named Bertrand Russell who said that the only thing that will ever redeem humanity is cooperation. So, you know, I, I think that this is one of the great sadnesses in the American global, American slash global um, socioeconomic marketplace is that cooperation is seen as a weakness. Competition is seen as a divine gift. And that unless we're competing, we're not doing our jobs. I think focusing on what someone else is doing is time and energy poorly spent. It's exhausting. Who cares? Don't do it. Focus on yourself. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Let's just keep going with which like one <laughs> word. <laughs> right. So here's though a question, you know, how do you maintain your poise when confronted with and being around competitive people? I just kind of take a deep breath and just laugh. I have to. I mean, it's reared its ugly head like twice in the past week, and I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. I mean, really? Just think how much time you wasted looking at me. Now, you, now, now you've lost sight. So it sounds like you feel like you've had some people kind of uh, 100%. gunning for you. They are. Why do you think that is? What are the, what are the reasons why people do I'm that? Because I'm paying attention to us being better than ourselves. Do you believe that they believe that there are scarce resources? Do I believe that they believe that there are scarce resources, meaning limited? That's, yeah, that's one of the draws toward competitive, I, besides like fresh, fragile self-esteem. I think, it's fra I think a lot of it is fragile self-esteem, mm -hmm. to be quite honest with you. I think it's, you know, it's I think at the top you have a long way to fall, and if you don't maintain that, that level of superiority, in a sense, of, you, you know, you're, you know, you're very vulnerable. And I think that, us as a, as a business, as a progressive and exciting and excitable business, a excitable group of people, not business. I mean, death care is not something that, uh, well, anyway, it's, it's something that we really focus on. And because of that, we are really growing. Mm -hmm. And because we are growing, others are not. Mm -hmm. Either staying stagnant or, or losing. Mm -hmm. You got to blame somebody. In my line of work, there I think is a lot of competition, but I don't, I don't know of it. Like I don't, I couldn't tell you the names of four other people who do what I do because right. I, I, I legitimately don't care. Like people are going to go where they believe that the relationship that they get in with their therapist is going to be redemptive and life giving, and it's and you want them to feel that way. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be with me. That's not the point. The point is that they get the care they need. You know, they get to go to whatever. Uh, mental, behavioral, healthcare professional that makes them feel the most comfortable so that they can open up and have conversations that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So if that's not with me, absolutely. Let me tell you about the three or four people that I do know that you might want to try. And, you know, it's caveat M tour. You got to gotta buyer beware. Look into that yourself and, and make your decisions. But I'm not interested in competing. I'm not interested in tracking trends. I don't get nervous when I see new practitioners coming online or or uh, there are practices that have grown into firms with multiple practitioners like I'm not I don't I don't care I'm not interested I'm not offended I'm not threatened I've got my thing going I love the people I serve the people I serve are so kind to via word of mouth share their experiences with other people so I have new people who come and that to me is perfect like it's 
It's exactly what I need it to be. However, in the marketplace, competition is considered a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's a sign of growth. I mean, this is, I think, what the whole design of capitalism is, is that there be plenty of, of, of options. And you, as the consumer, get to make your choice. How dare you have sold that pair of shoes? Yeah. I am the only one that offers shoes in the land. My shoes, though they look, feel, named, are the same, are not. Right. <laughs> only buy from me. So you got to have competition. It keeps you fresh. It keeps you challenged. It keeps you pushed beyond what is your comfort. And the people who don't stretch beyond that tend not to do as well. Yep. So it's good for you. It's good for, it's good for the world. Um, and however, and I do think that healthcare um, teams, professionals, and ent- entities are in, actively engaged in competition. I mean, they're pursuing the sleekest, most savvy media companies to do their videos and their marketing campaigns, and it's all about trying to tell that story in a specific way. And I think that's that's good. That's smart. Get your story out there. Make sure that everybody that you can have exposed to you uh, are exposed to you. But you've got to have the best product because that that stuff is only skin deep and people ultimately say oh yeah that's pretty sleek your media company's great but your healthcare is is terrible you know so you've you've got to be able to back that up with quality right. services yep quality care so that's why i have intentionally not spent any money on publicity because it's you know it's either you're going to hear about it and give it a shot and you're going to love it or you're not going to hear about it and that's that's okay either way that's okay that's a great that's a that's a great attitude to have. If you choose us, you know, because we're going to work diligently to to earn your trust, that's great. If you don't choose us and you go elsewhere, that's great. I hope you get cared for. We want to make sure that you are cared for no matter where you go. Isn't that's that our good? ultimately desire our ultimate desire. Is it that easy to and say? I remember I used to say that when I was in the church and it would really drive people crazy because they thought that I should be doing everything I could to, to get everybody <laughs> to seduce, lure and otherwise attract people in, you know, especially quote unquote young families because I was a young person. And that's part of it is oh we have a young person who can draw in young families. That's not how that works. Right. Congregations draw in themselves. Nobody comes because of a young pastor. I mean, you may have like two, but that's it. So the whole point is be who you need to be. Be your best self and let people kind of participate in that and they will come. But my job is to say, hey, look, I don't know where you're going to end up in your home for your faith, but wherever it is, I hope that you're cared for. And we're just glad you're here with us at the moment. You know, why be threatened? So what's the threat? What causes the threat? I mean, oh, it's, it's the fear of death. Falling. It's Falling or literal death? Death. For congregations, it's the fear of the church dying because for most churches, evangelism means getting people who look and act and vote like us to come in and help us pay the bills. Yeah. And businesses fear bottom lines dropping. So we, it, it, fear is as at the bottom of a lot of the drive toward competition. I mean, evolutionarily speaking, it's the fear of, of, of no longer surviving, the, the survival of the species being at risk. So we have to learn to be the best and the strongest and the brightest and the fastest and the most adapted so that we can continue on. And that we haven't really outgrown that impulse. We've just put more savvy language around it. I'm smiling because it's, Literally that simple. <laughs> it's so simple. You can put you can put sprinkles on it, put 
put candles in it, light them and blow them out, but it's that simple. Well, so, you know, working with people in your work environment who are competitive people, I mean, that that can be a real challenge, right? Especially if you're in a sales world where your salary is somewhat dependent on commission or you have a bonus or reward structure and you want to be the top three in your region or your state for your particular product sales. It's very hard to be surrounded by people who go beyond what I think would be kind of considered traditional kind of just fun-loving competitiveness and who want to basically undo you. (laughs) Um, That can feel very uncomfortable and can make you feel very insecure. So you really just have to double down on focusing on yourself and not on the people around you and not allow people to get in your heads, not allow them to uh, make you think that you are somehow less than, that they are somehow better than, because people can say anything. Ignore it. Do your job. Be the best you can be. Uh, Make sure that you document everything. Make sure that you are as friendly as you can be. Focus on your particular people and clients and contracts and companies, and always stay one step ahead of yourself. Don't let anybody get inside your head. But what about in the family? What about when there are people who are competitive about their house or their kids or their dinner parties and so on, people who want to prove superiority among your family slash friends group? I didn't used to think this existed uh, up until a couple of years ago. I didn't think when, when we became home homeowners, you know, because we lived above the funeral home and, you know, this is, I don't want for anything. I don't, I don't, I don't need anything. You know, I need food and a warm bed. My point is, is I, I wasn't a one upper, never have been, but people literally, and we've talked about this in previous episodes. Remember I'm talking about the Lincoln Navigator and how I was like, yeah. I kind of want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, people do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it will literally spare no expense and will like exhaust themselves. It's insane. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's nothing I want to put Let's any energy in. Let's literally try to outdo each other for the rest of our friendship and lives, you and me. Okay. All <laughs> right. Bankrupt our, fa- our families. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You got a boat, I got a boat. Yeah, so much of it has to do with insecurity and, and low self-esteem. I used to say, I mean, this is kind of a, 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 a maybe a private thing to say, but I don't think I am anymore. But I used to think I was like insecure. I don't, I, I don't think I am. When it comes to that stuff. When it comes to that, yeah, no, I don't think I am either. Yeah. I have my insecurities. Well, we all have some of I'm just saying not that those. stuff, no, not no, at all. I, I mean, don't care about stuff. That's silly. Yeah, you can have temp tags on your vehicles all day long. That's fine. I did have temp tags on mine for a long you time did. by That's, accident. Because they, they the, the dealership would not send me. <laughs> I had three sets of 30-day <laughs> yes, tags. You did. You literally for three months had a temp tag. That wasn't my fault. It I was, was calling stolen. them constantly. Please send me my tags, <laughs> please. Funny. Finally, I got That's it. good. I'm glad you did. Uh, so this this brings up the, the topic of arrogance. And uh, I'm a little sensitive about this because, you know, this is one of my like least favorite words is arrogance. Okay. And I think there's a reason for that. I, I always fight against, I, I never want to be considered that at all. But two people recently have told me that they thought I was cocky. I don't like it. I'm just telling you right now, I don't like it. I'm not saying I disagree. Well, cocky is... Uh... To me, it's synonymous with arrogant. 
Well, yeah, but it's also it's an arguable it's an arguable subject matter because someone who is confident is cocky, someone who is confident is arrogant, someone who is comfortable in their setting, in their environment, who they are, they're considered oftentimes cocky. Well, arrogant people tend to be status conscious. And I don't certainly don't want to be that. And that doesn't feel like it rings Status true, conscious meaning you go to like galas and you pronounce them gala. Ga, how? No, like <laughs> like you care what other people think about what you drive or where you live or what you wear, you know, name brand stuff. Just wanting to be kind of on the on the cutting edge and the upper upper end. When I first met Megan, I wore Walmart Faded Glory black two only owned two black Faded Glory polos. Well, Walmart styles the people behind the scenes because I saw their commercials during the Oscars and every single commercial was a Walmart ad where they style the people behind the scenes. Like they outfit all the key grip and Hmm. I mean, I don't believe that for one tiny second, but they paid for the space so they can say it yet again, proving my point. You can say anything you want. And, 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 um, in marketing and advertising, that's called puffery, and you're allowed to do it. You can say things that actually aren't true um, if they're not beyond the pale. So, no, I don't think that Walmart is the primary outfitter for other people. But it sounds like for it the was academy. for you. It was one it, of your it, outfitters. It definitely was. Sure. I had like two pairs of jeans and two black Walmart polos, and I was okay with Who it. Who cares? I mean, I, lo- I looked good. You wear what you wear. <laughs> you like how it fits and how it feels, and good. Go for it. Yeah. Dr. Carroll has yawned about seven times, yeah. just making me rest assured that I have bored him to death. <laughs> no, no, it's just there's a lack of oxygen in the room. Well, I want to take a moment and thank our faithful listeners. I definitely want to encourage you to visit youldietrying.com, facebook.com forward slash youldietryingpodcast, youldietryingpodcast at gmail.com. And please leave a five star review on your listening app, whether that be. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is you get your content. We would really appreciate it. We'll be back after this message. I went to the career day today, and I've talked in the previous podcasts about how our profession is really shifting. I had two sessions. Let me backtrack. When I was first asked to go to my alma mater to, to speak at career day, I had one session, three people signed up. All right, this is my fifth year. I had two sessions filled. And the first session was all young women. Not one guy was in that group. Hmm. And it's because women are pioneering this profession. Just saying, it's crazy. It's awesome. It was it was cool. It was it was encouraging and I love that stuff. I love educating people about what it is we do and how, you know, it's not just about being around dead people, it's actually about being around the living and 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 you know, you're creating, what am I trying to say? Event planning. You're being a mediator. You're, you are an artist, if you will, and a storyteller who fits 80 years in two days. It's pretty awesome. Mm. And I had them really excited at this potential thought of, wow, I probably, I could, I could be a funeral director. So kudos to all of you who came to my two sessions today. Good for you. Getting the word out. Yeah. It'd been nice for you to have been able to come there. Because there's there's such a parallel between a therapist and oh yeah 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 well one of the things we do here is lead uh, grief groups which we call good grief group because grief can be good despite a lot of people who want to take issue with that it is true 
And uh, we had a huge group last night. And uh, some of those people who came come regularly and some, this was their first time. And uh, such a beautiful thing to watch people who have for weeks and weeks wanted to do something and were fearful of doing it. And then they show up and they're so glad they did. And they they find um, common ground with people. They realize that their story is not that unique. And whether they're there because of a 20 years ago divorce or the death of a spouse or the death of a pet, uh, grief is grief is grief, and it's unique to each person. And uh, it's where all your love goes when, when the person that you have once loved is no longer there. It's a tax that we pay. It's been said on loving people. And having people come around a common table and talk about that is such a beautiful experience. So I can see where what you were doing with those students and what I'm doing with these people who are on the other side of grief um, has a, a lot in common with one another. We talk, we talk a lot about you know, what we do at the funeral home and with your assistance, but I'm seeing a lot on our social media, a lot on You'll Die Trying's Facebook page. People yeah. are talking a lot about asking for help. How do people, I think it's important, you know, Dr. Carroll, you are available to assist them. What if they want to visit, uh, you know, the clinic or what if they want to attend a good grief group? How do they, how do they even go about doing that? Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You can always send a message to us on Facebook, you'll die trying or you'll die trying podcast on Instagram, DM us, but uh, a quick visit to the Montgomery clinic.com. Um, gives you a sense of kind of what I do um, there, or of course, uh, visit to one of the funeral homes. We'll let you know what we do here by way of grief work. But, you know, the the good news is that there are people who are listening, and there are people who are listening who need help, and there are people who are listening and who need help and who are willing to make that first step, which is to click on the website, to click on their phone, uh, to make that first call, and to have that first consultation. And I don't know anyone who regrets having done that. It's just... It's hard, and I, I'm amazed at how many people will tell me that how nervous they were the very first time they walked in the door and not knowing, not knowing. They'd never done it. They had no idea what it means. You know, it's a very interesting thing, therapy. It, it's, a, it's a very different context because speaking of competition, we live in a world where we have to vie for attention and acceptance. We have to jockey for position. We have to work really hard to be known and to belong and when you come into a space like the clinic at the Montgomery where I practice, it, it's a completely different set of rules. So no competition. Zero. Mm-hmm. You have no fear of what someone might be thinking about what you're going to tell them because they're not thinking anything about what you're telling them. They're simply thinking about you and that moment and that conversation and how brave it is that you have the audacity to come in and share your story. You do not have to fight or jockey uh, for position or status or acceptance or belonging or to be known because you already are accepted. You already have status. You already are known and you already belong. You're loved, actually. It's really hard for people because people are actually more comfortable in that competitive nature because it's what they know and it's, it's hardwired into their, their psyche that I'm supposed to fight to be liked And then when you come into a place that's full of what I think is probably called best grace, where you're accepted as is, not as if, and there's nothing you have to do to earn it, people don't trust it at first. It's very hard. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. It's almost like it's uh, too good to be true. And it's almost like it's too good not to be. Right. Wow. So make that call, um, themontgomeryclinic.com. Send us a message if you need help, if you'd like to talk. 
whether you are uh, near us or not is immaterial. We have ways of being in communication and conversation with you that will feel um, life-giving. And so you, you should be encouraged to reach out. Circling back, I think it's important for all of you who are listening. Competition is a beautiful thing. Embrace it. Focus on you. Compete with yourself, not with the other. And for those of you who are struggling, such as, uh, as myself, with people nipping at your heels because you're doing well, keep doing well and actually do better tomorrow than you did today. As always, Dr. Carroll, I really appreciate you, your insight, your love, and um, intelligence. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate being with you too. And we're going to figure this thing out or uh, we'll die trying. Until next time.